Hello, it's Jacqueline Kitzman, and this is season three of the Awakened Tarot podcast. I want to start this podcast with setting expectations with this this season three of the podcast. Um, I got a review for the first, you know, I got a review sometime before the hundredth episode that, like, it wasn't given to me super constructively, but I think that like it helped me a lot. And I also got an email from a friend after this. And, um, hey, Ross, that really helped kind of help me kind of like bring in the scope of things. And and I want to start this off with setting expectations for people. So the first hundred episodes of the podcast, season one and season two split and it's season one and season two, simply just because like I had a baby and fell off the face of the earth for a few months, which, you know, happens when you have a newborn. But, um, the first hundred episodes in my head and how Ross kind of helped me conceptualize it and he said so perfectly and eloquently in one of his emails to me is that it was me having conversations about the cards, never an end all be all. This is what this card means beginning to end. It was basically an intuitive conversation about the cards and it was never supposed to be some sort of comprehensive thing. What I wanted to avoid overall was anybody thinking I'm some end-all be-all expert of tarot. I also didn't want it to be, I wanted it to be a continuous conversation about the cards, not one episode, that's the end of the conversation. But like, you'll notice that with some of the episodes I'll talk about, this is what this card can mean if it comes up in a reading. And then other episodes, it's just me talking about kind of the archetype of the card. Um, some episodes are really heartfelt. Others are kind of flippant. And it was always supposed to be like just a really authentic, like one thing about me is that I have unmedicated ADHD <laughs> and it was never supposed to feel organized in that way. In fact, I never even truly anticipated the podcast becoming what it is. Um, I always thought it was going to be a conversation between me and maybe like a hundred people. And what it ended up being is a conversation between me and thousands of you while that is amazing and I'm grateful that also comes with a lot of people's expectations, which is fair. And then I never set an expectation. I never set the scope for things. So moving into season three, I have taken in a lot of the things that I've taken a lot of things to heart. One, I've taken in all of the things that so many of you have told me you love about this podcast I have taken in some of the more constructive criticism and even some of the really hateful criticism I have gotten uh, about the podcast. And I want to set two things. I want to just make it super clear. One, current events are not going to go anywhere. They're going to stay. I know that some of you don't like them, and I encourage you to fast forward through them. If you do not like current events, don't listen to it. You have. I, I fully anticipate some of you being like, I love what Jacqueline has to say about tarot. I hate the current events section. Please skip through it. I encourage you to do so. Um, it's not going anywhere because I am teaching tarot the way that I learned. And I learned how to read tarot through an ever-evolving telescope of my experience with trauma, with life, with my own personal evolution, with who I am as a person and how I've changed and, 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 and my thoughts on the world. So you're going to hear some stuff and you may be like, wow, Jacqueline, that's super on point. Or you may hear something and you may be like, I hate that. Thank you. And that's completely fine. Take what resonates and leave what doesn't. 
what you're always going to get from me is just truly authentic shit. <laughs> like whatever, whatever shit comes out of my mouth, you're going to, you're, you're going to get like, you're not getting like one Jacqueline in one place and a different, in a different Jacqueline somewhere else. This is just, this is just who I am. So you're going to get my thoughts on it. I spent a lot of time when I was learning tarot teaching myself. I read a lot of the books and not a lot of it really fit with me. So you're going to get me talking about tarot from the perspective of someone who really took a lot of time spiral thinking about cards, who really, who I, I, I've spent a lot. And, and again, I'm not an expert. Like what I want you to hear me state overall is I'm no expert. I am simply talking about tarot in the way that I learned it and the way that it comes up for me and the way that I thought about it. And I understand that about myself. My brain, it works in a spiral. I have a very neurodivergent brain. I have CPTSD from an incredibly abusive childhood that gives me a very interesting thinking pattern. And I have ADHD for realsies. <laughs> and it's, it's unmedicated. So tarot has done a lot of things for me. One, it was really wonderful to use when I was in therapy for my eating disorder. It was super helpful as I was working through some of my stuff with CPTSD and EMDR therapy. And then it's been really useful for me in like points of my life when I maybe couldn't afford therapy or or it's helped me a lot with even like the more future telling divination aspects of things, which I think is a little more woo woo and a little bit harder to like teach because it is like it really is kind of like a thumbprint of your of your intuition but um you, what you're getting when I talk about tarot is a lot of my internal workings on the card so the first 100 episodes the first two seasons of the podcast every episode is not to be is not meant to be an all-inclusive view on the card it was me having an intuitive conversation with what I thought was like a couple hundred people turns out there's literally closer to like 10,000 of you hello so happy to have you here. But I'm not the end-all be-all expert of anything. So one of the things I want to do with season three is I'm bringing people on to interview. I'm bringing them on to interview because I want to talk to them about how they learn tarot. What are their struggles? What do they love? What cards do they love? What cards do they hate? What make, what, which cards bring them anxiety? Why does it do that? How did you learn? How do you learn? What's your learning style? I want to give people, and, and it's not going to be like professional tarot readers. Sometimes, yes, maybe other times it's just going to be fucking people learning tarot because so many people listen to this podcast because it's relatable, but I also have an incredibly spiralic neurodivergent brain that not everybody's going to connect with, and that's okay. So as I kind of weave my way through the tarot, again, this time coming at it from a much more like this is historically what the tarot was, and this is what it is now. Um, I also, you know, and, and putting an emphasis on collective energy as well, which is why current events is going to stay. You know, it's also going to talk about how the cards could come up in readings, what it means if it does. And I'm going to try my best to teach that how I taught myself and how I see it. And I'm also going to do my fucking damnedest to bring in other people so that they can talk to so that you're not just hearing my voice on here. You're hearing the voices of other people who are thriving with tarot, struggling with tarot, learning tarot, mastering tarot, getting through it. I want those voices to be heard, too. And I just happen to have... And be a person that wants to have those on. I'm a firm believer in the concept of if you're in a position where you're teaching something, then you become a forever student. 
if you pretend and, and if you're teaching the then then it needs to be anticipated that people are going to do better than you are going to have more insight than you on a lot of things. My only tool is my only real thing that I hope to teach on this podcast is how to make your own connections. I'm actually writing a book on tarot that not only has like what I think about the archetypes of the cards, but also comes with spreads so that as you evolve and as you grow, you can go back to those spreads and kind of learn a little bit about how you uh, have changed and how the card has changed its meaning for you. Um, and you know, these are things I kind of want to highlight on the podcast as well. And it, it, and that's what it is. It's a journey. It's an ever-changing, ever-spiraling journey. And that's, I think, how I want the expectation for this podcast going forward in season three to be. So all of that being said, let's move into the current event section. Now, I'm not going to go over a whole month's worth of uh, the shenanigans, but I will, <laughs> I will touch on some things. Um, so one, let's start with the, um, <laughs> submarine sized elephant in the room. It's not funny. It's a, I want to start off with saying that as I'm touching on this, like it's a fucking tragedy. It's a tragedy any way you turn it, but it is also like a commentary on just how much we as a society have changed as well. Okay. So you've got five billionaires and four billionaires and a sweet little 19-year-old baby who went with his dad on an adventure for Father's Day. And they pay $250,000 a ticket, an amount of money I don't think I've ever seen at one time in my life. And they paid this money to take what was essentially a, a small little RV um, wrapped in in material from Camper World. I'm sorry, it's not funny. Wrapped in material from Camper World and then sunk it being (laughs) controlled by a uh, Amazon brand generic uh, little game controller and then tried to pioneer that minivan aluminum wrapped tube 12,000 feet to the midnight zone. It's called the midnight zone because there's no light. Light can't reach that far into the ocean. Uh, And they were going to try to see the Titanic on a laptop screen because you can't see it out the teeny tiny little porthole window because, again, it's called the midnight zone. And these billionaires, minus a sweet little 19-year-old boy, uh, bought $250,000 to get the thing ends up imploding because it was not safely built. And then we spent millions, billions, maybe even of dollars in taxpayer money to go fish the billionaires out of the sea. Do you want to know what was happening just a few days before that? A group of like 700 plus refugees on a boat from Libya were in international waters. They're like, they were trying to flee from Libya and uh, like, 700 plus refugees, right? And their boat stops, stops working in international waters right outside Greece. So you've got this whole boat of people, families, small children, they're screaming for help and their boat starts to go into Greek waters. And so the Greek government thinks to themselves, we don't want this to be financially our burden. We don't want it to be our problem. So they get all their fancy equipment and then they push the boat of 700 plus Libyan refugees with small children back into international waters 
and they know that this boat isn't working, by the way. They know that this boat can't go back, can't go forward. The boat is broken. And eventually the boat capsizes and over 500 people die in the ocean. So you've got a bunch of volunteers with Doctors Without Borders going to help the survivors find bodies and begging for help. Begging for money. Begging for help. And we've got countries sending all of these robots to go find the billionaires who paid $250,000 per seat to go get the full Titanic experience and then got it. And what we're looking at there collectively is just this very wide gap, right? Like, I hear that these people pay $250,000 per seat to get on what is essentially like if a middle schooler decided they were going to build a submersible and then send it 12,000 feet to the midnight zone of the ocean. Um, and then we spent so much money for a submersible, by the way, that we knew imploded two hours in because the Navy fucking heard the implosion. So we still spent all of this money to go get these people. And do I think that they deserved less help? N no, not necessarily. I'm not without compassion and empathy. But how many countries went to go help the people in the, the Libyan refugees? How many of us went to go help recover those bodies? 500 of 500 people lost in the ocean because a government decided that they didn't want to take care of refugees. So instead, they literally just sent a boat that didn't work back into international waters. The boat capsized right there. And now there's nobody helping collect humans out of the ocean. And we all just watched. Well, I didn't. I didn't even know what happened until days after. You know why? The news didn't cover it. You know what the news had almost constant coverage of? It's nuts, but that's the world we live in, right? We also live in a world where we're what, supposed to feel empathy for these people who pay $250,000 a ticket when there are m millions of unhoused people in the world, children who are hungry, people who can't even pay their student loans back, people that can't pay their medical fees, people that can't afford insulin, like what is social security going to look like? We're paying into a program we're never going to get money back on, but we can't even get our fucking student loans forgiven. Like this is a fucking weird, crazy world we live in. And that's not even like we haven't even touched on the fact that Tennessee just, uh, they passed a total gender affirming care ban and then it got blocked by a judge. And then another judge higher up said, Nope, it's fine. And now it's going to the Supreme court to get voted on most likely and so you're looking at like potentially a federal ban on gender affirming care for not just children, but adults as well. That's nuts, right? So how am I, how are we supposed to care about four billionaires minus the sweet little 19 year old boy who was just trying to spend time with his dad on Father's Day? And we're supposed to care. We're not supposed to be outraged. We're not supposed to fucking joke about it. We're not supposed to like, and it's not funny. It's a tragedy. Those people died tragically. Quack, quick, not quack, quickly. Uh, but but tra tragically, but then you like, but then nobody wants to think about the 500 plus people who <laughs> refugees and nothing happens there. It's just like th that's the world we live in. We have people who are losing their rights in this country just willy nilly because what a group of people have decided that traditional values just like sound better and more fun to them. What makes their traditional values any better or any different than another person's if it's, it's just about control? It's bananas, but it's happening. And it's really hard. And so when you're reading tarot and you're like, wow, like things are like 
super different. I keep getting like really wacky, strange cards for situations that like I normally wouldn't. That's because everything's changing. Everything's changing. What you care about is changing. How the cards are talking to you, it's changing. The world is changing. So current events, one, on a very selfish level, are going to help you understand why things are changing. And on another level, hopefully, it you know, it's going to increase empathy and empathy intuition and intuition are very closely related. So you need to have those things. So current events is going to stay. Also, and I mean this sincerely, talking about what's happening in the world and happening to real people is literally bar below the four, below the floor, bare minimum of things I can do. It's not hard to have a tiny little platform and then to bring awareness to things that are happening in the world. It's not hard. I, we should be doing it. It affects a lot of people who listen to this podcast. It affects people who don't. It affects people you know. We should be talking about it. And please like know that I know that talking about it is not the only thing I should be doing. And I do a lot more. I help, in, I help people in all of the ways that I can. Am I perfect? No. Do I try really hard? Yes. Please know that it's not performative activism. It feels performative. Even I know that it's like literally... It's not even bare minimum. It's like less than bare minimum. I know that. I know that. But I, uh, it's not going to stop me from talking about it and bringing it up because it's literally like the, what the alternative is that I don't talk about it at all. That, that, that doesn't seem right. So just know that if you're curious about what I'm doing in my personal life to, you know, make things better or advocate or put money towards charities and you're curious about that, ask me. Just send me a DM. Just be like, hey, Jacqueline. Um, what, so what are you so what are you doing? I'll tell you. I'll, I'll have a conversation with you about it. Let's talk about it. But just know that I know, just know that I know, talking about things on the podcast and talking about current events and talking about things that affect other people truly is the bare minimum. I know that. You know that. It still needs to be done. I'm still going to talk about it. Um, I'm also teaching tarot, which is a thing that a lot of times marginalized people or people who have experienced trauma, they flock to tarot because we can't all afford therapy. So tarot provides that for us. It provides us a way to look at things from an alternative lens and an alternative perspective. Um, and I know that. So a lot of people who listen to this podcast maybe need to hear that just that somebody is spreading awareness about the fact that they're losing access to potentially gender-affirming care in Tennessee and possibly Florida and the United States as a whole. Uh, they need to hear. Somebody from fucking like Libya needs to hear that somebody's bringing awareness to the 500 dead Libyan refugees who died off the coast of Greece. Somebody needs to hear the, the fact that, what is it, $250,000? Like, what, that's like, that's like a half a million dollars, maybe a little bit more of like money that literally just like at the bottom of the fucking ocean, literally, literally. And we could have used that to house people, to feed people, to do anything like, you know, so it's important to talk about anyway. So for today, I want to talk about the history of tarot. I want to talk about, I want to talk about what tarot actually is. There's a lot of misconceptions about it. Um, there's a lot of people who said a lot of things, and we're going to talk about what the actual history of the tarot is, and then we're going to talk about what the occultists and the mystics say, and then we're going to talk about what that means for us and how we're using tarot and how it changes things and how it doesn't change anything, because I think that that's important. Then next week, I'm going to talk about 
Pamela Coleman Smith, her biography, what she did, why what she did with the Smith Rider weight deck is so fucking impressive and so meaningful to how tarot changed as a whole. Um, and I want to talk about the fact that she wrote books and she made, she painted beautiful pictures. She did so fucking much. She was amazing. And if all you know about her is the Smith Rider weight tarot, then you don't know enough about her. And I'm really excited to dive more into that and talk about her biography. From there, we're going to break down the tarot. We're going to talk about things like the major arcana, the minor arcana, the lifeline, deathline, rebirthline. We're going to tell the stories of them. We're going to talk about how to break the tarot as a whole. And then after I've done, and, and the minor arcana as well, talking about each suit and the story that it tells in the court cards as a whole. And then we're going to go through and we're going to take each card and we're going to talk about its number and we're going to talk about the history, the historic meaning of that card. And then we're going to talk about what happens when you talk about how that card and that archetype has evolved? And we're going to talk about a lot of that stuff so that you have a more comprehensive view about what that card means. And I'm going to talk to you about how I taught it to myself and how I learned it. And then I'm going to do my very best to bring on people and interview them about how they learned tarot, their struggles and everything I already said at the beginning of the podcast episode. So that's what season three is going to be. So I'm very excited to bring that to you. Um... All right. So with all of that being said, and not succinctly, because if anything, um, I, if you can depend on anything, it will be that I will always talk too much. Let's talk about the history of tarot. So I'm not going to pronounce these, uh, some of these things correctly, but um, so first known as the Trionfi, it was later known as Tarachi or Tarox. Um, it was a card game used in Europe to play a game called Tarocini. Tarotini is a game. It's, I think, pretty similar to like Pinochle and the and, and the idea that you have like trump cards and, and all of that. It was, but it was it was a game. Uh, the game has Italian roots and spread to Germany as a game called. Um, so let me go back and spell Trionfi. Trionfi for you is T R I O N F I. And then Germany, um, Grosterock, Grosterock. Uh, that was my German accent, and I know it was terrible. Hold on. It's G-R-O-S-S-T-A-R-O-K. Um, and then it also spread to France and Austria from there. Um, in the late 18th century, French occultists made elaborate and unsubstantiated claims that led to the creation of tarot decks as we know them today, used for divination and cardamancy. So... Basically, let me kind of break this down here. I'm going to read off what I've written and then I'm going to go back. Uh, so just put a pin in that because that's going to be a really important piece of the conversation. Um, people still use tarot to this day. Um, it, it, they play it as a game. They, they The majority of sales for tarot are what we know tarot through from this podcast, which is cardamancy, divination, Carl Jungian therapy, like therapy of like self-analysis and self-awareness. But it, its primary use up until the 18th century was a game, literally just a game. Um, we still use the Marseille-style decks for cardamancy. Uh, typically, these decks um, are different than the Smith Rider Waite in that they're just like the pip cards. So instead of like, you know, in the Smith Rider Waite, you've got uh, the two of cups as two people and they're holding cups and there's a whole scene. Whereas in like a Marseille-style deck, or I even think in the Visconti decks as well, which is the Italian. Marseille is French. The Visconti is Italian. Visconti is actually the first type of tarot deck that we see. Uh, and we'll talk about that later. Uh, you've got like the pips, which are just like, it would be like two cups and then the number two, kind of more similarly to how we view like a regular like playing deck of cards. 
you know, let me see where I've got my notes app open. I'm trying to do what Gabe does where he like writes down like a thing, but it's just me with like bullet points. So the Marseille tarot deck um, for playing um, Tarotini is the Tarot de Marseille. Um, we still use the Marseille style decks for cardomancy. Typically, these decks have hip cards that are decorated with the suit's token and they pertain to the jumper of the card. Number of the card. That was a typo on my end. Pertain to the number of the card, um, i.e. four of cups for the four cups and so on. Similar to the card decks that we use today for games such as Solitaire Poker. So now that we know that the very basic history of the tarot is that it was just a fucking card game, let's go back to the French occultists and their claims. They claim that the tarot and its use for definition goes back to ancient Egypt and the Kabbalah and Indic Tantra and the I Ching. Um, these claims are often found in most occult books. Uh, but... That's also not true. There's nothing there to say that that's how it was used. We have people, we have depictions of hieroglyphs of people in Egypt playing card games. We have, we do have works like the I Ching in China where people were using divination. We have things like the Oracle of Delphi in Greece where we, we know that divination was happening, but it wasn't like the active like suit of like the card game tarot wasn't like, played back in ancient Egypt. They did have their own type of card system. That's not to say that the Egyptians didn't use divination or that magic wasn't important to them or or prediction and, you know, cardomancy in some way, but it wasn't like the tarot as we know it. Um, that did start off as a card game actually made in Italy. Um, the history that we can actively track, like things that we actually have. So this is evidence-based um, is that tarot was invented in northern Italy in the mid-15th century and that there's no widespread use of tarot for divination until the late 18th century. So we know that since the beginning of time, humans have used different modems as a way to divine the future, but tarot itself seems to have been established much later. However, in the case of the Egyptians, they did have a set of cards called the Mumluk deck. That's M-U-M-L-U-K. Um, by the 11th century, playing cards were spreading throughout the Asian continent and then would later arrive in Egypt. So we have like, again, like we know that people were playing with some type of card, tile, uh, tablet, all like as far back as like basically humans were like recording writing. But tarot, as we know, tarot is not what started out as a card game, Terracini and we don't have evidence of that until like what was like the 11th century and then it was like the 15th century and then the 18th century is when we started seeing like things like divination happen especially with like the widespread like uh popularity of spiritualism as it kind of went through its waves in europe uh but, 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 but the oldest surviving cards in the world are four fragments found in the kir collection which is one of the greatest collections of post-war islamic art um, that was bequeathed in 2008 to the Pergamon Museum of Islamic Art, and that's in Berlin, I guess. Um, these cards are dated to the 12th and 13th century um, or the late Fatimid. That's F-A-T-I-M-I-D, Ibid, A-Y-Y-U-B-I-D in early Mamluk periods. Mamluk is M-A-M-L-U-K. So, the oldest surviving cards in the world are part of this Kier collection that were bequeathed to a museum in Berlin. Um, and they're from the these periods of the Fatimid Ayyubid and then the Mamluk periods. Again, I could be pronouncing those completely inaccurately, but I'm trying. The Mamluk deck consisted of 52 cards and showed abstract designs or calligraphy. 
not depicting people, but instead the ranks of the cards. So the pip card showed a reverse ranking written on them. This is considered an early version of our playing cards used like contemporarily. So like the Mamluk deck essentially had like little dots or calligraphy on them to represent like the numbers, probably similarly to like um, the playing cards we have now. Um, and they were probably used as a game and not as divination. Um, so while it, so I've got here my next point being, so while it seems that tarot was invented in Europe, Italy specifically, other cultures did use cards for games and possibly for divination as well. It just wasn't tarot as we know tarot today, as some people claim. However, the earliest record of tarot decks in the European world were recorded between 1440 and 1450 in Milan, Ferrara, Florence, and Bologna, so Italy. The oldest surviving tarot cards are the 15 Visconti Sforza decks painted in the mid-15th century for the rulers of the for the rulers of the Duchy of Milan, Duchy, D-U-C-H-Y of Milan. So basically these were like card games that somebody had painted for them handmade. Um, fun fact, I do have like a set of like original uh, Visconti, what the Visconti tarot deck would have been like handmade. My friend Ian got for me from like a place in Italy when he went to go visit with um, his boyfriend that were basically like these handmade, hand painted cards, like just fucking beautiful. But they were playing cards. In 15th century Italy, the set of cards included in tarot were consistent with the deck we use now, though like we see today as well, names may change. So like, for instance, like you'll see in some tarot decks, it's a suit of cups and others, it's like a suit of like grails and others, it's a suit of water. Um, <clears throat> or you have like the pentacles or crystals or the swords or feathers or air, you know, stuff like that. So the names may change, but pretty similar to, you know, tarot, we have like the each suit had a specific name and meaning. The original purpose of tarot was to play games. But it is speculated that perhaps the game was invented to make it safe for people to carry these decks and avoid persecution. Italy and France can boast bragging rights for having created the earliest version of the cards we use today, which are the Visconti deck and the Marseille deck, which I talked about earlier. These decks spread through Europe with many different artists and countries creating versions of their decks. The most popular versions now are the Tarot of Marseille, the Rider-Waite-Smith, though I call it the Smith-Rider-Waite, and then the Thoth Tarot deck that was created by Alastair Crowley. So those are the most popular decks used now. So that was a lot of information and a lot of bullet points. Let me break it. Let me put it all together for you, okay? So one, while there are lots of, there is a lot of evidence from pretty much every culture that we used magic, we used divination, we used possibly even cards or books or tiles or tablets to help us divine, runes, right? To divine the future, Tarot as we know it now was has not been just like there's not been like some like tarot deck since like the beginning of time that we've just been like recreating. The tarot deck itself was created as a card game. So did people adapt this card game to use for cardomancy? Absolutely. Yeah, they did. Did they pretend it was a game to avoid persecution? Well, we definitely have some people saying that that's what happened, but there's no like actual proof that the tarot was actually some ancient Egyptian secret that they made tarot and that the Europeans like developed and unlocked the Egyptian secrets and all of that. Like evidence-based 
tarot was made as a game in in Italy and then didn't and wasn't used as cardamancy or divination until the 18th century as waves of spiritualism went through. And that's evidence-based. So what does that do? One, does it mean that tarot is not intrinsically esoteric and magical and all that? No, tarot is great. I love tarot. It's wonderful. Um, Does it mean that the Egyptians, the Chinese, the Sumerians, the Greeks, the Romans, the whatever, didn't have systems of divination and prophecy and future telling? No, of course they did. If we're actually going to be like, you know, like historical about it and like serious about it, like this is a thing that was invented that people really liked and then it spread. And 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 there are other, you know, like tarot is not the only way to future tell. It's not the only form of cardamancy there is. So we can look at tarot and we can really appreciate what it does. You know, <laughs> it's a little problematic to be like tarot this game that was created actually in italy we have like proof and evidence of it was actually a secret of the ancient egyptians that we stole from them we took it and we adapted and like that's not exactly there's no evidence to say that that is what happened now we have a lot of people who have like said that they have talked to spirits and source and that that's true i can't speak to that i i'm not like the end all be all of esoteric spiritual information. But what I can do is give you what is recorded on the history of tarot. And that is what is recorded on the history of tarot. Okay. So I think if we're going to take that at evidence-based face value, we have a deck that started out as a game that became a safe way for people to travel at a time when people were getting persecuted for their religion and were able to kind of like carry these decks safely through Europe and 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 attribute meaning to them. It's the same thing as like bibliomancy, where you like I could find like I could go out right now. I could find my fucking Twilight book from like middle school, and I could be like I'm going to divine a message. I'm going to use this book to divine a message from source, and I could flip it open to page 15, and I could say I knew, and I could just say I knew three things irrevocably. One, Edward was a vampire, and then I could prescribe some sort of meaning to that, and I could, and it might, and it might work really super well. But at the end of the day, like we created a set system of cards that we fuck with all the time and the meanings evolve. And it's not, you know, like it doesn't, it doesn't mean that it's like, it contains every single secret of like the world. Like Aleister Crowley would have you believe that the Thoth deck was like created because he spoke to Anubis and Anubis, like he was some reincarnated something and that he created this deck with all of this divine knowledge. And it's like, I like, I guess, like, you know, like some white guy in Europe who had like a sex cult, like that's who Anubis, an Egyptian god decided to like give all this information to. Okay. Like, it, you know, it's you're towing like a really kind of like problematic line with that. So when you're looking at the history of tarot, it's really important that we're looking at it in an evidence-based way, right? Like, is it full of mysticism? Yeah. Is Ken, like you use it to divine the future? I have. Is it like some great Egyptian Kabbalah secret? Uh, I mean, the Egyptians would probably be pissed that we're talking about that like they didn't have their own system of magic or their own system of like divining the future. You know, the ancient Chinese people who were over there with their beautiful divination system, the I Ching, would probably be like, we like we have something that's our own culturally. Every single culture has something 
that is their own that they used. The tarot is not the end-all be-all of divinatory tools, and we can't look at it that way because then we lose a lot of the historical context for what it is. It's an incredible tool. In fact, it is one that has become the most popular and the most well-known throughout the world, and that's great, but it started out as an art project and then became a game. And then later on, we figured out that we could use it pretty like, you know, pretty well for other things. And that's amazing, too. So this and this history of tarot is what I found on the interwebs in regards to research with tarot. And it has its own beauty to it, because either way, it was something that, you know, the beautiful thing about humans is that we can attribute meaning and and divine meaning into, into anything. I could right now, I could go to a bead store right now and I could collect out like 26 beads and make each bead represent some sort of archetype and I could attribute meaning to those and then I could go on never touching tarot again in my life and I could attribute meaning to those beads and they could help me with self-analysis and they could help me with future telling if I wanted. They could help me with a lot of things, but I'm the one that prescribed the meaning to them. You see what I'm saying? And there's a lot of beauty to that. And one thing that I will say, however, is that ancient Egypt, Greece, Rome, Nordic cultures, um, even in African mythology, in Sumerian mythology, Chinese myth- mythology, Indian mythology, Native American indigenous peoples here in the U.S., there are gods that and archetypes that we have attributed meanings to. In almost every culture, there's a god of war. In almost every culture, there's a god of fertility. As humans, we have parsed out different archetypes across the board without having any conversations with one another. We have parsed out across the board different gods or archetypes that do different things, and we have assigned them names. We've assigned names to them, and we've told stories about them, but they're all the same archetype. And you want to know what I find very interesting is that Tarot kind of did the same thing. And then in different cultures and different and throughout different religions, people have been able to use tarot or use different divinatory tools. I can speak, I promise, to kind of help represent those archetypes or those moral codes or those things that they believe in. So what is very cool is that it's very possible that tarot itself was created, yes, as art and yes, as a game. But yes, to kind of talk about different archetypes, because humans do that. There is something coded in us spiritually or in our DNA that sociologically we can pull out different archetypes for things that matter to humans all across the board. And we give it names. We give those gods names. We, you know, we can refer to like Demeter as the Greek Iris, Isis, excuse me, or we can refer to Dionysus as the Greek Osiris because they have some of the same archetypes. But even in, even though that's not wholly true, like we have gods of fertility, gods of war, gods of life, gods of family, gods of beauty, and they all have different names and they're all from different cultures. And there's no way that they all communicated it somehow. We just know these things as humans. So while tarot was invented later on as a game, we all still are operating under that same source kind of given knowledge of like, there are certain archetypes that mean things to people. And that's really special. Um, It doesn't take away from the specialness of what tarot has become for people. Just because the ancient Egyptians didn't create tarot, the, the tarot deck as we know it today themselves. Um, so what I don't want y'all to take from this episode is like tarot is not mystical. It is, it is. And we've, it's become like a tulpa for us. Like we have 
put so much energy into it. And we have all of us different religions and belief systems and pantheons and whatever else and cultures. And we look at the tarot and we can like frame its archetype into different things and we can all relate to it in a different way. And in the same way, and that's beautiful, but that's not, but like the, just because the ancient Egyptians were playing with cards doesn't mean those cards were specifically tarot or just because like the ancient Chinese people were playing with cards doesn't mean that it was like, it was tarot. Like, you know, like we can see, we can like look and see like when tarot first came to be like in art, we can see it in, storytelling and so we also want to just be kind of i think like respectful and like honest about like that and not necessarily what the french occultists decided about it i hope that made sense all of that to say tarot is a very cool thing it is very cool how it has evolved and it's i think incredibly helpful now to so many people i mean i know it is to me it's done so much for me um and you can and you can use it for self-analysis and you can use it for cardamancy and divination and I've I've done it both ways. Um, and I and I think that's like kind of the beauty of it. So yeah, that's the history of tarot. Or the history of which I could research in a week. I'm sure there's so much that I could have talked about and didn't, but I hope that that made sense. I went through it bullet by bullet and then I kind of I hope I did a good job of like going back and like giving my thoughts on it. I think tarot was wonderful. It's an amazing tool. I do think it was source given, but I also think that a lot of things that are source given are things that are kind of like really beautiful about humans as a species in general and very cool that we all, if you were to take like a bunch of people and put them all in like remote areas of the world and give them no con give no contact and like kind of like we're able to like give them all amnesia and wipe their brains of any and all civilization all of them would without having any communication with each other all of them and this is like a pinnacle of sociology is that all an archaeology you know in that way is that all of those people would come up with some sort of religious system they would have archetypes of gods and they would all have different names probably, but all like all of the gods would be parsed out the same. Like, oh, this is our god of fertility and this is our goddess of beauty. And this is our god of like the protection of like livestock. And they would also all have like pre- probably pretty similar like moral codes in a way too, which would be very interesting because that's just how humans are. Um, you can call it source given. You can say that's nature versus nurture. You can call it whatever you want to. Call it what you want. Yeah, call it what you want to. But that's just like kind of the beauty of humans. And I I love that. So I hope that that made you, I hope that this helped us have a little more awareness of tarot. I hope that it gave us a little bit of like insight into humanity. It was very interesting for me to read about and learn. I knew some of the things. I didn't know others of the things. And it doesn't make it any less magical or mystical or any less able to help us divine things. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think if I have anything else to say. I don't really, if you like this podcast, please rate, subscribe and review. It helps get more information or helps get it higher in the charts. Um, also if we hit 300 reviews between Spotify and Apple, Gabe and I will find some way to record us having a whole, like an all out pie war, which will be fun. Yeah. I think that's it. Gabe did stars and shit last week, but then it's all I have to say. Oh, I have to do a fucking collective reading. What the fuck? Um, I literally, I'm a, guys, I'm a professional. All right, let's see here. Collective reading. Gabe, you can take out all of this little like wishy-washiness. I'm pulling a card. Um, 
God, it's like you think I took a month break or something. Um, our card for this coming week is the Page of Wands. When you're looking at the Page of Wands um, and the message there, you've got the Page, which is Earth, and the Wands, which is Fire. I always kind of talk about the court cards as different ways of using the Ace. So when you're in the page, you're, you're, you're looking at like kind of like innovator, like a youthful mentality, kind of that Aquarian mindset of like, we're going to start a new thing. We're going to do something new. We're going to bring some newness in, in into this, some youth into the room, into the world. And and there's and it doesn't make them any less than a king. It just gives them like a really kind of unique, modernized type perspective. And the Page of Wands is very Promethean. Prometheus is a Greek titan who wanted to see humans succeed. So like his story is that he went to Mount Olympus and stole some fire and brought it back to the humans and taught them how to make fire. And then that turned them and helped them become more industrialized and like allowed them to not die. Like it allowed, it brought warmth. It brought industrialization. It brought food. It brought them basically an ability to live like and, and create. And that's why fire is kind of this regarded as like this element of creation and destruction. It really kind of like helped blossom humanity. So when you look at the page of wands, you're literally like you have the ace and now you're going to fucking do something new. You're going to start some fires. Are you going to start good fires? You're going to start bad fires. So as we're going through this week, ask yourself, what fires are you starting? Are you lighting a fire under yourself? Are you lighting a fire under somebody else? What is the purpose of that fire? Because that's the other thing is we're in the court card, so we're using the ace. How are you going to start using that ace? What are you going to use it for? What new breadth of innovation are you bringing somewhere? Is it a new business idea? Is it a new relationship? Is it just a new way of doing things? How are you going to implement it and, and, and implement it in a way that it actually sticks? That fire keeps going. That fire helps create. Could just consider that as you kind of move through your week. What fires are you lighting and how do you keep them going or how do you put them out if you need to? Okay, with that, I'm really fucking out of here. Goodbye.